Christ's words in Revelation were meant to encourage an ancient church enduring persecution. But they strengthen believers even now in times of struggle. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna and how you can apply its truth to your daily walk. To introduce the conclusion of his special message, The Suffering Church, here's David. And thank you for joining us today for this final edition of Turning Point during this particular week. We're glad you've been with us as we've been talking about the prophetic truth. Did you know that more than 25% of the Bible is prophecy? That 1,800 prophecies concerning the first and second coming of Christ are in the Bible. People ask me all the time, why do you teach on this so often? Because it's so often in the Bible. It's God's plan for us to know what he's up to. And when we understand what God has planned for the future, we we automatically know what to do today. It's an incredible thing. And uh, we're going to continue to do that as long as God gives us breath. Uh, today, we, we finish up what we uh, started yesterday with the suffering church. And um, we're learning that God has a heart for those who suffer. There's a place in heaven for martyrs. There's a special experience the book of Revelation describes of the the martyrs under the altar. And uh, we used to think about that as something that would happen maybe someday in the future, but we wouldn't be around to see it. We're around to see it. It's happening Uh, suffering everywhere for the faith, persecution because we have put our trust in Christ. And this is a very special lesson. We'll finish it up in just a moment. First, let me remind you of two things. If you haven't already investigated the possibilities of joining us in Alaska, the dates for our conference cruise are July 16th through the 23rd, coming up just around the corner. Number two, uh, if you haven't ordered your copy of the book after the rapture, it's our resource for the month of May, and we have just a couple more days for this to be viable. If you haven't already sent your gift to Turning Point during this month and said, please send me the book after the rapture, we're waiting for you to do that, and the book is available to send to you right away. And so I hope you will do that as you have opportunity. Now let's get into the scripture again. This is Revelation 2, 8 through 11, the suffering church. Notice what Jesus says to them in verse 9. I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. What Jesus actually said was this. I know your tribulation and I know your persecution. And what Jesus was saying to the church was this. Whatever you're experiencing, I know it. I don't know just about it. I have experienced it myself. The one who for three years lived under the sentence of death says, I know your pressure. The one who had no place to lay his head and was poorer than the foxes and the birds had himself said, I know your poverty. The one who was slandered and lied about and falsely accused and whipped and brutally beaten and hung upon a Roman cross, we hear him saying, I know your persecution. And we've learned this from the book of Hebrews, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You can almost hear the Lord as you pray to him and say, Lord, do you know what I'm going through? 
and you hear the Lord say, my child, I know. I don't know just about it. I've already been there. I've experienced it. One writer has said that Jesus took cognizance of every sorrow. His heart felt every pang. He counted every tear. The weight of oppression was fully known to him, and the wealth of his divine sympathy went out to his people. And still today, not a trial passes unnoticed, nor a difficulty unobserved. Our great shepherd knows every bruise sustained by his sheep and every suffering experienced by them. And because he too has passed through that suffering, he sympathizes with his own. One of our greatest needs in trouble is someone with whom to share it. We long to unburden ourselves to someone who understands. And now we hear Jesus Christ, the world's greatest confidant, saying to the suffering church, you can count on it. I know what you are experiencing. And there is no friend who can bring to us the peace and the relief that our Lord can bring. These believers were not recognized by anybody in the city of Smyrna. They were the outcasts of their culture. They were looked down upon and despised, hated, hunted, and berated. But they were known by Christ. His knowledge of them should fortify their courage and strengthen their resolve to be faithful. The reputation of Christ was better than the reputation of Rome. And the recognition of Christ was better than the recognition of Rome. But keep reading. The riches of Christ were better than the riches of Rome. Verse 9, but you are rich. These words were meant to strengthen the church. They were very poor, yet they were very rich. The Lord's values were very different from those of the Jews and the paganizers. Jesus commands us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And Paul says that true ministers of God would be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor and yet making many rich is having nothing and yet possessing all things. Is that not true? Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And the Lord Jesus speaks to this suffering church and reminds them that though they may have no money, they don't know where the next meal is coming from. When it comes to their relationship with the Lord Jesus, they have a richness that the world cannot possibly comprehend. Perhaps these words are a good reminder and a good warning. Outward adversity of a church or a people or a person is not a proof of the central poverty or weakness. It is not always the wealthy church financially that is the rich church. The material wealth of members does not create the true riches of the church. How often it has been that some struggling company of believers fighting with poverty, contending for very existence, has been the truly rich and prosperous church. The Christians of Smyrna were to take heart and be faithful. Spiritual inventory was to offset the empty coffers of the church and encourage each of them in his struggle with personal poverty. Though they were poor. The Lord Jesus wanted them to know that they were really rich. We evaluate wealth on the basis of the way the world sees it. And God evaluates it from his perspective. 
And he sees it far differently than we do. Some of the most miserable people I've ever known in my life are people that have a lot of money. And some of the most precious people I've ever known in my life are people who are very simple and poor and have really nothing in their life except the knowledge that they are a child of God, loved by him, and all of the really important things about life are already cared for. And they would say to you, I am rich. (laughs) Number four, the reckoning of time by Christ was better than the reckoning of time by Rome. Revelation 2.10, you will have tribulation 10 days. Do you see that? That doesn't seem to make sense when you read that in the text. This phrase has caused many over the years to wonder what is meant by the 10 days. Some think it means the 10 years of persecution that was coming to the church at Smyrna, perhaps being climaxed by the death of its pastor, Polycarp. Some think it refers to the period of Roman persecution in the second and third centuries. If you study that period of history, they have enumerated ten waves of persecution that took place under ten Roman emperors, the last of whom was Diocletian. There were ten years of persecution under Diocletian, and some think the ten days refers to that time. Maybe all of these are true. But I think I see what the Lord is trying to say to this church. The intent of his words is to prepare the church for the suffering that would be very brief in contrast to eternity. Jesus is saying to them, this is going to seem like a long time, but in comparison to eternity, it's just 10 days. I remember the words of 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The 10 days may seem like long and endless in the midst of pain and suspense, but it was a period that marked the shortness of the time of tribulation when it was looked at from the divine standpoint. God remains in control. He had set a limit to the ordeal. It was only for a restricted period, and the knowledge of its duration was an added reason for there to be steadfast and patient. You may think, Pastor, this that I'm working on right now, that I'm going through right now, it's never going to end. But I say to you, it is going to end. And God has every day numbered. He will not allow you to go through more than he will help you experience. And in the midst of it all, he is showing you the importance of eternity in comparison to the temporal issues we face in this life. To the believer in Smyrna, the clock was moving slowly. How many of you know trouble seems to slow time down? But God lives and moves in a different time zone, and fearlessness and faithfulness are enhanced when we understand this truth. It's but for a moment. It's just for a little while, and the Lord has great plans for his people. Finally, the rewards of Christ were better than the rewards of Rome. Revelation 2, 10 and 11, I will give you the crown of life, and he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The athletic games of the Roman Empire were a cause for much pride among its citizens. Part of the pride of Rome was attached to the great pageants and their games. The crowns won by the Roman citizens were flaunted in the faces of believers. But Christ reminded these suffering saints that they were in a different race. 
They would win a different crown. Their crown would be the crown of life, specifically reserved for those who were faithful unto death. You say, where is that found? James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures testing, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those crowns, according to Revelation 4.10, when we receive them, are not for ourselves so that we may flaunt them throughout eternity. The Bible says in Revelation 4.10 that when we receive these crowns at the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to cast them at the feet of the Savior. This prize would be a great motivation to courage and faithfulness in times of trial. The crown is the positive reward. But notice the 11th verse of the second chapter. There's kind of a negative reward, if you will. Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Every one of us will die the first death if the Lord Jesus doesn't come back soon. Some are closer than others. Some may be closer than they want to be. I was in an airport in New York, and I was talking to the pilot who was going to fly us back here. There was a storm, and the plane couldn't fly. In fact, the plane that we were going to fly on hadn't even been able to get to the gate yet because it was such a monsoon storm. And the pilot who was going to fly the plane back to San Diego was with me, and I was talking to him about the fact that on the way out, we had had a pilot who was flying his last flight before his retirement. And when we arrived in New York, everybody gave him a big hand, and he walked off to the glowing support of everyone who was on the plane. He said to me, he says, well... I'll be doing that someday soon. He was in his 60s. He said, I don't know how much longer I have. And then he said something. I don't know if this was supposed to encourage me. But this is what he said. He said, it's one thing to get on a plane when you know it's your last flight. It's another thing to get on a plane when you don't know it's your last flight and it's your last flight. <laughs> I said, oh, my word. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> I went back and told Donna, I said, listen to what this guy just told me, man. Can we change flights? (laughs) All of us are going to die sometime. But there are a lot of us in this room that will never die the second death. The first death is when you die and your soul is separated from your body temporarily. But the second death is separation of your soul from the Lord God forever and ever and ever. Listen again to what the Lord God said through Jesus Christ to this church. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The original language here is very strong. It says literally, he shall in no wise on no account be hurt of the second death. The first death is a shadow of the second death, and it is the first death that seems so dreadful to us. So will the second death. Christ reminded the believers of a tremendous fact. The world lives to die, but the believer dies to live. The Christian church in Smyrna had nothing to fear from martyrdom. No matter how cruel the torture, the Romans could never separate them from God. Separation from God is the second death, and the separation of the soul from the body is the first death. If Christ tarries in his coming, all who are alive 
will experience the first death, but those who have put their trust in Christ will never, ever, ever experience the second death. The simple truth is wrapped up in this little slogan, if you were born once, you will die twice, but if you've been born twice, you only have to die once. Thank God for many of us here who have been born again. We have been born twice. We may have to go through physical death, But on the promise of the word of God, we shall never, ever experience spiritual death, the second death. You say, well, what does that have to do with these believers? These believers realize that many of them would give their lives for their faith. And the Lord Jesus reminded them that's nothing to fear. In fact, Luke chapter 12 says it this way. Do not be afraid of those who will kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And Jesus said to the believers in Smyrna, you don't have to fear him. You don't have to fear the second death. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, they may take your life through some of those terrible persecutions I mentioned earlier, but they can't take from you the one thing that matters ultimately, and that's your eternal relationship with Almighty God. So these five principles are in this text by the writer from the Isle of Patmos, but let me go through them once more. The reputation of Christ is better than the reputation of the world. The recognition of Christ is better than the recognition of the world. You don't have to be known by the world, but if you're known by Christ, you're somebody. (laughs) The riches of Christ are better than the riches of the world. The reckoning of time by Christ is better than the reckoning of time by the world. And the rewards of Christ are better than the rewards of the world. Like we're all going through stuff right now. How important it is for us to get our head out of the sand and out of the doldrums and get our eyes upon God and our heart and our head in his word and remind ourselves that the really important things are already ultimately taken care of for every single one of us who know the Lord. And he who gave to us his son, will he not also freely give us all things? If God gave us the best gift, what would keep him from giving us the other gifts that we need to be sustained during our time? There's a very famous story about the pastor of the church in Smyrna. He was a student and a disciple of the apostle John who wrote this book. His name was Polycarp. It was to this messenger that Christ spoke, and John wrote the second letter. Polycarp's ministry ended in February A.D. 156, when there was a sudden upsurge of persecution in which 11 Christians were tortured and thrown to the wild beasts. Polycarp, who was a vocal spokesman for his faith and led the little Christian church in Smyrna, valiantly and faithfully and fearlessly was on the list and he was ultimately tracked to a farm having refused to go into further hiding. Food was brought to his captors while he engaged in prayer. Did you hear me? He brought food out to those who were taking him away and fed them while he went to pray. Then he set out with them for the city and was brought to the amphitheater The Jews, as well as the pagans, were waiting for him in a mob that had been incited to fever pitch. As Polycarp was marched into the theater, an unknown voice cried out from the mob, 
Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw the speaker, but the voice was heard by many, and it was certainly heard by Polycarp himself. The Roman proconsul tried to get Polycarp to swear by Caesar and revile Christ. Swear, they said, and we will set you at liberty. Reproach Christ. Polycarp answered with words that have become very famous. Here's what he said. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The mob continued to press for a renunciation of Christ, and the aged pastor responded, Since thou art vainly urging that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretendest not to know who I am, hear me, I am a Christian. And a little later, the governor threatened, I have wild beasts at hand. To these I will cast you unless you change. Later, after no response, the proconsul said, I will cause you to be consumed by fire, seeing you despise the wild beast if you will not change. And Polycarp answered, Thou threatenest me with fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but thou art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. And even though it was the Jewish Sabbath day and it was against their law, the Jews gathered wood and began to heap up the faggots to build a fire. Their hatred for this man was bitter and cruel, and they cheered as the godly man was brought to the stake. And as the flames began to curl up around his aged body, Polycarp prayed this prayer. I thank thee that thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I may receive a portion in the number of thy martyrs in the cup of thy Christ. The flames bent into an arch around him, and a soldier used a sword to end the ordeal. Polycarp was faithful unto death. That almost seems like a fairy tale, doesn't it? It seems like that couldn't possibly be happening anywhere today. So I tell you, I'm not a prophecy of doom. It's going to happen more and more as we approach the end of the age. So far as I know, it hasn't happened in this way within the boundaries of our country. But many of our missionaries tell us the stories of these kinds of things happening throughout the world because of faith in Jesus Christ. And if you listen to the pastor of Smyrna, you hear the same thing. How wonderful to be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, even in fellowship of suffering. Some of you are in the fellowship of suffering with him now, not unto death, at least not that we know of. You may think it's unto death. It usually feels like it's unto death. But I want to encourage you with these two words we have heard from our Lord. Be fearless and be faithful. And remember, God has it all in control. Amen. 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 Hey, we have one more church that we're going to visit before we uh, conclude this month together. And we'll visit that church on Monday. It's the Church of Philadelphia. I love this church because it's the church of opportunity. It's the church of the open door. It's the church uh, into which I was born uh, that um, little by little uh, is, is no longer the same. 
but it was. It was the church of the great missionary outreach, the faithful church, the Church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3, on Monday here on Turning Point. Over the weekend, we'll be on television someplace near you, all over the world. We're on television in places that are kind of astonishing, like the Fox Business Network every Sunday. And... Um, other places you wouldn't expect to find a Christian program. We've found a place to be because we're not just trying to preach to the choir. We want to be available to people everywhere and uh, show them how powerful the Word of God can be in their life. So pray for the weekend of Turning Point as we reach out to the world. And then make sure you get to church. Whatever you do, go to church this weekend. Be there to support your pastor and others there in the church and be an encouragement. And then we'll see you right here next week as we open the week together and continue our discussion of the Word of God. Thanks for listening. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday for another special message from the seven churches of Revelation right here on Turning Point. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, living the 66 books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard is remembered for saying, that life can only be understood backward, but must be lived forward. We cannot go back and change what has happened, except to make amends and corrections. But what we can do is learn, 
and the further we move forward, the more clearly we will see what happened in the past. Fortunately, God sees it all at once, past, present, and future, and He understands it all. He could reveal to us immediately why certain things happen, but our knowledge is not as important to Him as our faith, our willingness to trust Him until understanding comes. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's perspective on the past on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.